What's Good Friends List, episode 17 of the Game Pass Gamecast, coming at you, and man, do we have a big one cooked up for you this week. It's our final preview blowout for The Outer Worlds, and if you're listening to this show, that means it has now officially launched. Let's go, baby. Adam and I sit down and cover everything under the sun about this game, from its deep but not overbearing character customization options to how Obsidian has seemed to find a way to take the dense feeling of Fallout New Vegas and bring its RPG heart into a well-paced adventure, and much much more. Plus, has Diablo 4, Diablo 2 Remastered, and Overwatch 2 seemingly leaked ahead of this year's BlizzCon? It's looking possible, but we try to find the truth buried deep within that dirty rumor mill, baby. A massive show coming up here on the Game Pass Gamecast. <laughs> now the fun begins. Bridget. Good everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Game Pass Gamecast. I'm your host as always, Travis White, aka Travelus on most internet platforms, and joining me today, well, where the hell's Mike? Cricket, cricket, yep. cricket, 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 the cricket. Is, the hell, it's just Adam. No, I'm just kidding. Mike is being, <laughs> being a great son tonight, taking his mother out for dinner like the good dude he is, I guess. I, don't know, I, I use that like, no, I'm just kidding. So joining me today, the one the only Adam Marshy Marsh. Adam, what's good? What is going on? And what have you been playing? Not too much, Travis. Uh, recently, I've still been playing some Fire Emblem. You know the story Shocker. there. Not gonna, Shocker. Not, <laughs> not going to go too deeply into that. But I have also picked up a new game that I've been really sucked into lately. I don't know if you've heard of this one. It's called Disco Elysium. I've heard tidbits about it, but I've heard very good tidbits about it, that it's just fucking wild. This game reminds me of uh, the shadow, the more recent Shadowrun games by Harebrained Schemes. They're um, kind of like futuristic, but also strange, out of place, uh, almost cyberpunk, but it's not even really there. This is um, these are the isometric ones, right? Yes. Okay. Disco Elysium is a very dialogue-heavy. RPG where there's no combat but you do have statistics and those statistics determine how your internal monologue will pick up on things as you uh, follow this murder mystery and as you progress through the game you'll earn experience from doing the investigation and noticing things and passing skill checks and you'll be able to spend more of those points on uh, improving your stats and getting better at certain things so for instance my character uh, I have him specced into uh, intelligence and psyche, mm -hmm. and he's low on physicality and motorics. So he, he's clumsy. He's not very strong, but he's he's perceptive. Um, and the game is just absolutely bonkers, hilarious. Like some of the writing, uh, I've heard. Is... I've heard some of the dialogue and so, like you were saying, some of the writing in general was just like trippy, but in the best way possible. Yeah, uh, so if you're into well-written, dialogue-driven games, character-driven games, um, this is definitely something that you might want to check out. Playing on PC, right? Yep, I'm on PC. Nice, nice. Yeah, I've heard good things about it. Um, I meant to watch at lunch today whenever I was kind of putting together some of our show notes for today. Uh, I tried, I saw, I saw the review from IGN post, 
uh, a couple days ago. And I meant to look at it, and it was one of those things. I saw it there, and I was like, hmm, I need to watch this, but I need to watch like three other videos to make sure I get info right for our show today. I'll come back to that, and then I got mm -hmm. caught up with actual work stuff, shocker, for like, you know, a couple hours, and I never went back to it. But I will watch that tonight because I'm really interested in that. I do love a – if it goes it, – it's weird. I don't like – if it's an RPG, I like RPGs. Like, I don't, I like it being not a strict RPG, but very much, if it's an RPG, I want it to be much more of an RPG than, you know, an action game or something like that. And that right. seems like the more traditional style RPG. And that's a setting that, and, you know, the context that it brings, I, I think I would be very much interested in that. So I may, I may check that out. I'm going to look into it. Just on, it's just on PC, I'm guessing. Uh, I don't know if it's on any other platforms. I've got it on Steam right now. Let's check it out real quick lack it is just on microsoft windows so yes just okay. on pc anyways for me uh that was kind of a rhyme but i didn't mean to do that for me mostly been the same because like i keep saying i'm in this like lull period that waiting for the game we're going to talk about today it's our big preview episode for Ooh, you know it the outer worlds i'm super hyped for that but it's one of those things that i'm just kind of i'm not it's more like a hotel stay that I'm doing. Like I'm coming You're in, in a holding pattern. Yeah, I'm coming in and I'm staying for a couple days and then I'm I'm jumping out. It's not where like in the outer worlds or when Death Stranding comes out, like that is going to be my game for the next like couple weeks. I'm going to actually sit down. I this is getting my full attention span. Any time that I have free time, I'm playing this game over movies whatever else doing mm -hmm. so, you know screw being social i mean who the fuck wants to do that anyways <laughs> um you know so i'm kind of in a lull period but i'm still playing ac odyssey uh it's fun to just kind of pick around in that game just jump back and forth between different things going on kind of doing a lot of side quests it's much more it's such a i love the game and i love because i i'll be honest i've said this i'm sure on previous episodes up until Origins, I was adamantly against everything that Assassin's Creed was doing. I don't like annualized franchises for the most part. This is the first Call of Duty game I actually have some interest in, in a long mm. time. I just truly never really, I, I feel they're, no granted, Activision and Ubisoft are these huge umbrella publishers that have so many studios underneath them that it's not one, it, it's not like madden and at ea where they're pumping out a new madden there's such a quick turnaround that they're just keeping the skeleton the same and you know upping some asset you know polish mm -hmm. to it you know every year so it's a little different that i know it's it's not just one studio making these or not i just hate the i hated the fact that assassin's creed because i stopped caring about the franchise to be honest by i think ac2 which was caught like 10 years ago so it was very much i was turned off by it didn't want anything to do with it. And when Origins came out, I heard great things leading up to it, but it also launched the same day as Mario Odyssey. So, obviously, I know what the fuck I'm getting that day. It ain't gonna be Assassin's Creed. So, you know, it was one of those games I first picked up or Origins whenever it dropped, or while I was waiting for God of War to come out. Like, you know, maybe three weeks before that. I was like, oh, I want to play something. I want to play something, but I don't want to get balls deep in something but then i pick that up it's on sale for 20 bucks pick it up and i get balls deep in that i love it it's much more of a full-fledged rpg than anything else that that franchise has put out and it's so deep and dense the writing's great 
Um, so there's a lot of reason to care about, you know, what goes on in that world. And when they went to Odyssey last year, I was totally in, um, not day one because there were, you know, I think Red Dead dropped right as that was dropping. So I was like, obviously yeah. I'm playing fucking Red Dead. So Black Friday rolled around, picked it up and it just didn't have the sticking power. It feels much more grindy comparative now. Um, I felt like progression is much more stalled with how you have to fight cultists and different things like that, but it's still a great game. It's, it's, it's much more to me, at least feels much more pick up and play than origins where origins was much more. You're sitting, if you're playing this game, you get the most out of it by sitting down and playing for three to four hours at least where this feels much more like, Oh, I can just go hunt a, uh, mercenary who's after me. I can just go hunt one of the cultists that I need to to trip away at the overarching narrative. Things like that. That it just, it really works well. So, been playing a little bit of that. And then my fiance and I have been playing Detroit Become Human. I've played about, we're about, I think actually where I stopped with the game, we're at now. So, like the halfway mark, I would imagine. So, we restarted and I played with her because she loves playing the Telltale-esque games. The more, uh, I don't want to call it, like, visual novel almost in, in a yeah. sense interactive storytelling or however you want to call it but those style of games are great for her and i to play she i let her make all the choices i do all the qtes because her reaction time is not that great so um neither is mine so that's even saying a lot but so we've been playing that it's great um not that i'm like itching to play it every night she wants to play it or whatever but it's fun to have something we could both play and her being you know, engrossed in it, and when she's engrossed in it, I get engrossed in it, so it is fun, yeah. but besides that, it's just mostly been... That's a strong force that keeps me on Fire Emblem, because Alexis wants to play that, like, almost every night, and I'm like, yeah, I'm excited about this too now. It's it's great. I'd love to bring... I would love to do, like, an episode where our significant others, like, come on and just, like, talk about <laughs> not only, you know, oh, the stuff that... Because, I mean, Molly loves gaming. She loved, she played a ton during, from N64 to Wii. She was pretty hardcore into playing, like, a lot of games on PS2, GameCube, and even into the Wii. She, have you heard of Endless Ocean? I feel like I've heard the name, but I can't tell you what it's about. So, it's like a scuba diving game, and it was on, I don't think it was on, I think the first uh, system that it appeared on was Wii. But she was it's a scuba diving like adventure game where you're scouting out different animals through it but it's like this deep deep game that she put like well over 100 hours in playing this game like on the timer on it it's crazy and it's a nintendo published game like it's not it's polished it's real good like she showed me it before i'm like thinking she's telling me about this game i'm like oh, okay whatever you know and mm-hmm. i was like holy shit this is actually the controls are tight like everything's actually pretty nice this being like from the time of the WiiWare, there was so much goddamn WiiWare shit that, you know, you could... Everybody was just trying to put some type of garbage out on that system. Um, so, it, it, I'd like to do an episode where we have, like, them come on and not only talk about, you know, the things that they liked about gaming, but why they still, you know, have some kind of attracting interaction to gaming. And also the things we do when it comes to gaming that pisses them fuck off. Because I'm sure there are tons with Molly. I'm sure there is, yeah. like a laundry list she'll be like well i could tell you the things that probably don't in a lot quicker of a time (laughs) (laughs) it's a lot of probably me getting irrationally pissed at a fictional character that is non-existent so yeah that'll be an illuminating episode when it happens oh yeah we'll be that's one that that's one that uh i will be gladly 
willing to edit and make sure he gets out. So, anyways, let's head into our show. But before we do that, let's talk about our housekeeping, which is our free game giveaway. Do you like free games? There's a bear shit in the woods. I mean, I guess. I've personally never seen it, but I am getting off topic. Of course you do. So, let us help with that. We're giving away a brand new free game of your choice on any console. That's not just Xbox, not just PC. We're talking PS4, Switch, whatever. Modern console, though. To one lucky listener. And all you have to do is the following. Follow us on Twitter at GPGC Podcast. Retweet the pin tweet on our profile. And make sure you're listening to the show to know if you've won. That's it. Once we hit our goal, we'll pull a winner and someone will get squared away with a free game. So head on over to at GPGC Podcast and enter today. Quick interruption from your neighborhood future, Travis. Adam and I forgot to cover one quick announcement in housekeeping when we record this episode. But thanks to the power of those gosh darn damn computers... We're able to get in there now. Take it away, future Marshy. Hi, one small announcement from Marshy here. When I'm not recording this show with Mike and Travis, I'm also a volunteer moderator for the Extra Credits Discord community. Maybe you've heard of their YouTube channel. It's a popular node of gaming discourse. Extra Credits have run several official game jams in the past, but this weekend, the Discord server is hosting its first unofficial fan jam. Have you ever wanted to make a game of your own but don't know where to start? If you're interested in developing games as a hobby or a career, then I can think of no better way to practice than to participate in a game jam. This one will be running from Friday, October 25th to Tuesday, October 29th. Full details in the link below, especially if you don't know what a game jam is. If that sounds interesting to you, be sure to check it out. I will be streaming the submissions on the following Friday afternoon, so join me on Twitch if you want to see your game played. That's all. Adam. Before we get into the meat of our show, got a little news chunk here that I think pertains to really our team here. And it seems like at once at one point I thought just one game, but it looks like we're going to have two games. But let's start with the first one here. Diablo 4 seemingly leaked by Artbook Advert. This comes via IGN from Matt Perslow. As always, link to the article will be in the description of the show. Make sure you go over there. Give Matt a click, a view, a read, all that jazz. So, kind of jumping into it, there's been a lot of rumors going around about everything with Diablo 4, how it was supposed to be at BlizzCon last year, they pulled it last minute, a lot of people kind of don't think it's a coincidence that Mike Morheim ended up stepping down as CEO at Blizzard, like there's so much going on with it that kind of culminated with that Diablo Immortal shitstorm, so especially now with what's going on with Blizzard, it seems like they may be pulling out all guns to, you know, they're pulling the emergency fire alarm type thing right now right. For, for BlizzCon. But let's get into it. Matt explains it here. A Blizzard advertisement in the latest issue of German magazine GameStar has seemingly leaked the existence of Diablo 4. A full-page advert on page 27 of the latest issue of GameStar features a segment for the upcoming The Art of Diablo hardback book, which is due for release in November. The description of the book reads, and I quote, featuring over 500 artworks from Diablo, Diablo 2, Diablo 3, and Diablo 4. <laughs> this book 
features many noteworthy artworks created for Blizzard Entertainment's iconic action RPG. A picture of the page has been circulating on Twitter, but GameStar itself has reported on the advert on its website, which is kind of weird. Um, <laughs> the article explains that the magazine will be available to purchase from October 23rd. As of writing, Diablo 4 has not been officially announced, and it seems unlikely it will be within the next two days. So, when I was putting the show notes together, that was it. That I thought that was cut and dry, we're done. Oh, no, 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 no. So, it looks like not only, and I've heard this being rumored, but this, we've now got more solidified info on this one. But I've heard all three of these rumors, but now it seems like we're definitely, it's definitely coming. So, on top of that, it looks like that Overwatch 2 is going to be announced at BlizzCon in a couple of weeks. So, this hmm. comes this comes via Metro OW. It's a streamer who is kind of a leaker for Overwatch. So obviously, with all this, take it with a grain of salt. That's self-explanatory. But um, so there's a Reddit post that's going on over on r slash Overwatch, the Overwatch main subreddit. So let's dive into it here. This just kind of breaks it all down. There's been some major leaking regarding BlizzCon and Overwatch 2. How reliable is the source? Very. The leaker is Metro OW, a streamer with a reliable background. He most notably leaked Ash's name, cinematic, and abilities a week before BlizzCon last year. Here's what got leaked. Overwatch 2 is going to be revealed at BlizzCon through a cinematic short, and there's short spoilers at the end of all this, So, but who knows if it's actually true. Overwatch 2 seems to be the official title. Big number 2 on the screen as the end of the short as Jeff Kaplan walks on stage, who's the creative director behind all of Overwatch. And also, too, whenever I was reading that, and Adam, you'll appreciate this because you're a donkey guy. When I was reading big number two, I just kept thinking, big Yoshi. <laughs> <laughs> Old Dunkus. And I'm sure Dunk knows all about this now. He's a He loves getting jammed up in Overwatch. So, anyways, moving oh, yeah. on. It's a full AAA PvE and PvP game. So, not only PvE. Not only PvP, but we're looking at PvE as well. It'll feature a full leveling system that alters the hero's abilities. For example, Tracer can augment her bomb to stick to multiple enemies at once. More details will be given tomorrow on stream, and this was a couple of days ago. They've updated it, um, and nothing really did seem to come out. He seems to maybe want radio silence, but that also could be from, hey, I don't want to get my shit taken down by Blizzard. Um, so, mm -hmm. um but also on top of that, he does mention Diablo 4 and Diablo 2 Remastered also announced. Um, so with the, and also the cinematic short that he did mention before, just kind of running through it, it will feature Mei, Winston, Tracer, and a young Genji. And Mei gets heavily injured and saved by Genji. So that's kind of cool. Um, so kind of circling back around before we kick on, uh, into our main part of our show. So to me, Diablo 4 is, like, one of the worst-kept secrets in gaming. It's one of the prime examples of how this, like, secrecy surrounding game development, at least in my opinion, is just ridiculously antiquated. It's like how I've said it before, movie studio, And it's been getting better over the years. You've seen it a lot with uh, PlayStation's been one that, from Sony, you'll see Death Stranding they announced three years ago, like, right after Hideo Kojima was brought on to be involved with the project and have an exclusive deal with playstation so it, it it's getting bigger but there's these huge publishers like bethesda ubisoft everyone that these games keep getting made and we know they're happening but they don't say anything about it it's one of those you would do a little more fan service i think it would go a long way and we've seen actually bethesda change with 
Elder Scrolls 6 and Starfield kind of showing those earlier than they probably expected to kind of save some face. But um, where it's, you know, even if you just show a quick JPEG, like it's going to it's always that like, okay, we know it's coming. It's there. It's there. Yeah, things get canceled. But I'm sorry, Diablo 4 and Overwatch 2, those are huge, huge IP that are such cash cows for uh blizzard that you know they're not gonna get you know oh yeah you know what we canceled it but at the same time too that star uh that uh starcraft game did get canceled how long ago um what was that starcraft yeah they keep Ghost? trying to make they keep trying to make a first person shooter or something and just mm-hmm. never gets off the ground yeah but in in terms of actual mainline games i mean they'd be stupid not to you know can it but so its announcement was pulled last minute from BlizzCon 2018, 100% happened. Jason Schreier confirmed it. It's boom, ready to go, um, which kind of resulted in what went on with Diablo Immortal, the dumpster fire reaction by fans. But with 2019's event a few weeks away and really what looks like an even graver reaction uh, will be at hand, rumors have really started kicking up around D4 along with also Overwatch 2. So, Adam, what do you want to see from Diablo 4, just real quick? And do you think that this advertisement, I guess if you want to call it a leak, is legitimate? Or is it just, you know, a simple typo, given the language barrier from a German publication? Uh, I think there still may be a possibility that it's just about transliteration. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, the 4 might just be referring to Infernal, Mm -hmm. and that might be what we're getting from this art book. If Diablo Four is coming though, it for I sure almost, is. It's 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 legitimately happening. Like it's, if that's what they're going to be showing here, I guess I should say my cause... my big. Just before you continue, just to kind of give some context, last year it was pulled. All I think they were going to do, and there's a whole big article. Uh, Jason Trier for Kotaku. I'll actually I'll throw that in the description as well. He did a really big expose on it last year, where it kind of he kind of threw it out there because it pissed off a lot of people and it made a lot of journalists who are ready to go with this announcement look like asshats for kind of, you know, reporting on a lot of this stuff to then, you know, it, it is happening, but you pull it last minute, like a day beforehand, like that made a lot of people look bad from, you know, notable publications, but it was, it did right, change. Kind of pulling the rug out. Yeah, it did change. It was, they tried, they were actually going to change up the formula with Diablo at one point, but they got into it, you know, maybe I think like a year or so into the, into development but from what they wanted to do they wanted to do more of like a third person over the shoulder type thing that just they couldn't get it to play right and they just uh, they scrapped it they were like nope we're good we're going back to the way it was we'll you know iterate on what makes diablo a diablo game which is good to know but they have now i think it seemed like they were ready to show it but the more how do i want to put this those who have been with the company I think the longest outside of Morheim from what it sounded like wanted to pull it back and say, no, we don't want to just say like, Oh, it's coming. And here's a quick, you know, cinematic. And that's it. They wanted to make sure they showed more with it, but Mm -hmm. you know, internal fight, but continue. Sorry. I just want to give a little more context. Nope. That's all right. Um, As far as what I might like to see from a sequel, it's, it's hard to say like after playing Diablo three and, and never beating it, by the way, I don't know if I ever told you that I, I I've only beat it once. That was, I've it. gotten to like, I think maybe the end of act two mm-hmm. uh, in the desert. I forget which, 
region that is called. That's a, that's about the farthest I ever really remember getting. I have vague memories of maybe some of Act 3 where you're like defending a, a castle under siege or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember playing that on like 360 in co-op mode with Mike. But beyond that, never finished the game. So it's hard for me to have a real frame of reference of like what they've been working up to mm-hmm. for all this time. Um, I think I, I like... think three, at least in my opinion, because you played a lot of two. I think I think three was at least from somebody who's very similar. I I beat the game. I know what happens, but I was not as balls deep into three as I was the earlier titles. But to me, it was the most. It definitely is the most accessible title out of all of them, and I think the most newcomer welcoming title at least it was very not not i don't like mike may say it's watered down or whatever like that i find it more yes they did peel back or they did dial back a little bit of the more hardcore elements of it that i've noticed but at the same time you also have to do that for making a console port on multiple different consoles yeah um one thing i will say that i think i really enjoyed about d3 is that your build uh, aside from your gear, gear is one thing, but your your stat build and the skills that you invest in mm-hmm. is reconfigurable at any time. You can change up your play style whenever you want. You mm-hmm. can uh, reallocate your skills. You can pick different runes. That I really liked because one part of Diablo 2 growing up for me that I found difficult was like I would paint myself into a corner with a bad build. Mm-hmm. And then when it came time to play on like Nightmare Difficulty or something... I think I played before the patches that like let you reallocate your yeah. stats once per difficulty level. Yeah, that so, was I, I was kind of the same way with like now granted not being able to go back and play again, but like Morrowind. Whenever you'd have a certain character build going on, then it's like, well, if I want to get good at this one thing, it, it's much more of an uphill battle at this point. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's exciting. I I'm very much looking forward to Diablo Four, even though blizzard is on my shit list and will be for quite a while um hopefully diablo 4 is still quite a ways out so that they can hopefully build back a little more you know um a little more faith on my end but that's also we also have to understand that at the same time you know that i'm sure obviously with how some blizzard employees reacted to that that's not the message from everybody internally that's not the end all be all it was right right it was somebody higher up who was a appealing to not the right sources so but that's not why you're here you're here everyone's here because of obviously adam and i's beautiful voices you know hello hello is it me you're looking for even though we don't have video you can listen to my voice funny story about that song actually before we get into it okay if have you ever seen the music video for it i have not jesus christ so this music video lionel richie is an art teacher in it okay he's or some kind of teacher and he's teaching this this girl that he is like sexually attracted to okay it's like a student like that he's definitely having some like he he wants to get it on he wants to you know dive up in there you know so but then you find out at the end spoiler alert for a three minute video um (laughs) that here the girl's fucking blind okay 
So the girl's not only is she his student, she's fucking blind. And then at the end, it shows that she was making a sculpture out of clay of Lionel Richie's face. Of his head. <laughs> like with the jerry curl and all. Okay. It's one of the most psychotic things I've ever seen. Hands down. And like people say like, oh, music. The boomers out there will be like, oh, the music this generation. It's just fucked up. These, these idiot kids talking about drugs. Well, at least we're not talking about like fucking banging our students who are blind who are out here yeah. making weird fucking mosaic pieces of art of us like the yeah fuck? uh from my friends who were in education programs in college i one phrase always stuck out to me that they got in their education track it was never hit or hit on your students that's i think that's up there with like numero uno that may be numero uno if not that's it's like number one. it's outside of probably don't kill anyone you know so i mean you I think hitting them kind of covers that in a way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, true. True. Very true. But you don't want to know about Lionel Richie. You're here. Like I was saying before, I got sidetracked by... You guys know me. I'm a fucking psychopath. So I get sidetracked by stupid shit. Anyways, you're here because we're here to talk about the Outer Worlds, baby. Adam, how excited are you for this fucking game? I'm incredibly excited. I have basically the weekend set aside because... Uh, the lady I live with is going to be visiting her parents, and I'm going to be in my apartment all weekend by myself, eating junk food, playing this game. I'm very hype, and we've been watching a lot of, uh, you know, a, a handful of videos, just kind of getting a sneak peek of the game to prepare for this episode, and I've been pretty much blind up until now, but mm -hmm. now that I've seen that stuff, I'm very hyped to play this game. See, like, I'm good with, I'm good with, I still don't watch the 20-minute video that IGN put up. I still, I didn't want to watch that much because it's the beginning. It's like showing like story elements and stuff like that. Like, I don't want to see that gameplay. Yeah. I'll, I'll see random gameplay from hour six of the game or whatever that you're just running around doing a fetch quest or whatever. I so, will say it's, it's pretty light on anything besides just the basic premise. And if you want to go in blind from even that, like that, that's fine. I, I respect that position, but I will say it's, it's not too deep on like, Oh, so you did watch it. I did watch it, yeah. It doesn't explain too much up front. It kind of sets you up with the main premise of who you are, mm -hmm. who the doctor is, that mm -hmm. the kind of Doc Brown-like character that you see in a lot of the promotional material, yeah. and what your goal is in a very broad sense. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I, I, I've seen enough promotional material around to know, hey, this is what's going on and obviously you know in our show notes here i have i have some breakdown of the actual game that i'll get to, into in a minute just to kind of fill in for people who aren't necessarily super familiar with the game but i think a lot of our our audience is um you know i just stayed away it's like like i've said before like death stranding i know it's really kind of hard to do at this point because nobody knows what the fuck this game's about but it still looks amazing i've stayed away from like like kojima put out a 50 minute like presentation of gameplay I'm like, no, I'm good. Like, I, I want to experience... I'm just that type of person who, you know, I'll turn off trailers at some point to be like, nope, I'm good. I don't want to see that. I want to experience that for myself. Because mm -hmm. a lot of that's so lost because of the media presence. And I guess we're kind of also in that bucket too at this point that we have a podcast around gaming that we deep dive in and we look for things before they're released or whatever, you know. So it's... It, it's I understand why people are like, ah, oh, who the fuck cares? Just jump in. But me, I'm more like, ah, eh, I'm good. Like, I can wait three more days. But I did want to go in and see, like, I didn't know a lot about. I stayed on uh, 
media blackout for like character creation and stuff like that. But at this point, I'm like, no, it, it's good to look at this stuff. I'm ready to go. But so for the show here, we're going to kind of do our preview on the game, what we expect, our predictions, hopes, wishes, dreams, and most importantly, our expectations, because I think that's a big thing to keep in check here with this game that's coming out right around the corner. So this week, as like I said, we're going to roll with one of Adam and I's most anticipated games of this year, The Outer Worlds. So, if you aren't familiar, I got the breakdown for you. You know me when it comes to games, the games we cover on the show. I got the nice little fact sheet. So, The Outer Worlds is a galactic first-person RPG game from Obsidian Entertainment, the original creators of Fallout and the developer of Fallout New Vegas that combines the witty dialogue, depth, and combat that you know and love from those games. The game is set in an alternate future that diverged in 1901, when U.S. President William McKinley is not assassinated by Leon Cholgas at the Pan-American Exposition. As a result, Theodore Roosevelt never succeeded him, allowing large business trusts to dominate society well into the future where mega corporations have begun colonizing and terraforming alien planets. Originally bound for the furthest reaches of the galaxy, colony ships faster than light travel goes astray, leaving it abandoned at the edge of colony space. The player's character awakens on board from cryosleep only to find that most of the passengers are still in hibernation and begins a journey to a nearby colony to investigate the true nature of the corporations. The game features several factions and a branching story that reacts to the player's choices. While this is the first game to be released by Obsidian since being purchased by Microsoft as a first-party developer, the game will be released on October 25th, 2019. That's when the show goes live. For you lovely bastards listening at home or at school or pinching a loaf off on the john on xbox one game pass day and date same day and date playstation 4 and pc along with a nintendo switch port coming in the near future so adam first off it's well known fallout new vegas is one of those games that seems like a never-ending gobstopper or i guess in a you know darker light the everlasting crack pipe for you um it certainly is <laughs> you go back to it like time after time and for good reason i mean critically it's one of the most beloved rpgs in modern gaming so let me ask you this what about obsidian speaks to you as in terms of their games like what makes you continuously put your faith in them as a developer it's a constellation of factors but uh, i'll try to touch on a few that i think are the most important firstly obsidian's worlds feel like logically consistent and like there are there are systems in them that you can interact with so for instance um there's a video on youtube that's pretty prominent i don't know if i really need to plug it here but it's about what's called the shandification of uh fallout mm -hmm. and the the main the main pull of the video kind of a tldr is that like in new vegas you can walk around and ask yourself the question what do these people eat and that question is answered for you. It's like there are sharecropper farms outside of New Vegas and there are small homesteads and stuff. And there's like, you know, the world feels believable right. because the questions of what do people eat? How do they survive? They're salient to the setting and the story of Fallout because it's a, a post-apocalypse and daily survival is kind of an important question. Mm -hmm. If it were set in the modern day, uh, it might be less of an important feature. But what people eat, in Fallout New Vegas, kind of an important question, and it, and it is answered. Contrast that with Fallout 3, developed by Bethesda in-house. Um, you have a bunch of people living on this giant aircraft tanker, Rivet City. 
what do they eat? It's not really explained. Uh, so that's one thing. Another is that I feel like the factional conflict feels more organic. Mm-hmm. Um, in a, in Fallout Three, you have some. I'm gonna keep making these comparisons because it's just it's the it's most natural one. I and mean, I, it's na- I, you're naturally going to. I apologize if I'm retreading old ground, but if we're comparing Obsidian, whose last most well-known title was Fallout New Vegas, they've developed a couple of things in between uh, Pillars of Eternity, but that's mm-hmm. more of a classical computer RPG in the style of like Baldur's Gate. I mean, don't get it twisted. The Outer Worlds is a spiritual successor to New Vegas. I, mean, I think they it absolutely very, is. They very much have alluded to the fact that that is the case. Yep. Factional conflict feels more organic. It's not just a moral binary like we've talked about, I think, on the Fallout 3 episode where you have good karma and bad karma and mm-hmm. who you murder, uh, like, the game places value on different factions objectively. So, like, if you kill raiders, you get good karma. If you kill, like, I don't know, Rivet City citizens or whatever, you get bad karma. Mm-hmm. Um, in Fallout New Vegas, it's a little bit more subjective. Like, mm-hmm. you will get reputation with factions. And how you treat one faction will maybe determine how another faction thinks about you. Like, if you work for the NCR a lot, the Legion is not going to want to associate with you, and vice versa. And if you do bad shit to the NCR, the Legion's going to be like, hey, this is our guy. Mm-hmm. I'm expecting that to come through more in the Outer Worlds, especially after what I've seen from a couple of the preview videos I've watched. There's going to be conflict between the interests of the mega corporations that are at play on Halcyon. Mm-hmm. Um, you're probably going to be working with and around them as much as you will be working against them or working them against each other. Uh, it almost reminds me of like a shadow run type situation and that's a that's a cyberpunk game i don't think i would categorize outer worlds as quite cyberpunk but the criticism of mega corporations is definitely there in common where on one sense there that's like inevitable force and you kind of just have to live with the reality that like they have a lot of power and control and if you want to do anything in the world you got to play ball with them sometimes but no i I totally agree but on the other hand, I know there's going to be very incisive criticism and commentary of real-life corporations, and they're also going to take that to logical and comedic conclusions beyond actual reality, and like that's going to be a whole lot of fun. Oh, yeah, definitely. And the one thing it always seems to me like, or it always seems to me with Obsidian Games, they always seem to, they master not only, and we'll touch on it in a little bit, but the humor that's found the like subcontext humor that is very meta and very, that is a very obsidian thing, but their stories are always very meaningful. They're always like you were kind of mentioned, like they have some rooted in truth and rooted in fact in a way. And it's always usually altered, but it's enough to where it's almost, it's very believable to an extent. Yeah, Like you would, if you're, if you're immersed in a game, it should be like, if I'm playing, I don't even know. Uh, how about Odyssey, for example, AC Odyssey, I was just talking about, like you come across Socrates and these other people that you're not going to, obviously these interactions didn't, this is all fictional and yada yada, but the writing's so well, and they're done so well in that game. And it's so believable, the, the story that they craft that I'm bought in. It's almost like the Marvel movie theory that some of these things are so, you know, out there. But at the same time, Marvel roots their heroes and their stories in reality. 
and they do it so the writing's done so well that it's it's just believable. It's just like sure, why not? I'll throw some you know extent of reality out the window, but it's enough to where I'm still buying in and believing what's going on. Like looking at their releases, uh, Kotar two, which I'm sure we'll touch on here soon. Uh, Dungeon Siege three, hell, even South Park: The Stick of Truth. Like I totally forgot they did that game. That's Obsidian. That is Obsidian. That is holy Obsidian. crap. But they did that game. I haven't played it since Xbox 360 back in the day, but the writing, I'm doing it with, you know, South Park Studios, I'm sure, Matt and Trey, they're yeah. just so spot on with a lot of their commentary that they do on, you know, current events and different things like that, and their writing's just down to such a good formula at this point. Yeah. But those two meshing together and going very much outside their ballpark in terms of the setting within always kind of stuck with me that... Yeah, a big IP like South Park that is, you know, 20 plus years old now came to them and said, yeah, let's, we want to do this and we want, but we want to do it right. We want to work with this developer. We have an idea for taking a storyline out of there and plugging and going from South Park, but we want it done right. We want to use, if, if it's based on almost a Dungeons and Dragons experience that the kids are having in the game, we want to go with the best RPG developer out there. We want to go with somebody who fits that mold perfectly, like... It just, it's very, it says a lot to me, at least, about their quality. They've continuously taken everything they've thrown at them and turned it into something spectacular from a narrative perspective, at least. Absolutely. And I just, I love that Obsidian games seem to consist, at least from what I've played, it's Mm -hmm. definitely not all of their library, but they seem to consistently tackle big questions that are fun to kind of explore in the in the safe environment of a video game like realpolitik and power dynamics and empires mm-hmm. and the questions and choices and burdens and winners and losers uh, that are all associated with exploring those philosophies and you get mm-hmm. to see a lot of different perspectives on display and you get to you know align with whichever one you want to on that given playthrough you want to side with the NCR do you want to side with the legion do you want to go your own way and like well the first time i played new vegas i remember thinking oh yeah my own way is like the best way to go like Mm -hmm. obviously i have to chart some kind of middle path between these two extremes of like the bogged down corrupt bureaucracy of ncr and the absolutely brutal expansionist empire of caesar's legion but like several years later i realized trying to go the middle route was just establishing a monarchy that had no stability and it probably wouldn't be the best thing for the wasteland in the long run Mm -hmm. and it's just all of their games i feel like have that quality of being able to chew on them and revisit them and like you said just i I gotta keep coming back and 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 hitting them again and again yeah and it it just once again it goes back into i think it just speaks ridiculously high praise to how much of a just quality developer they are their their games are always polished well and granted they're using you know sometimes in the fallout situation they're sharing engines they're doing whatever but it's it's just a quality product they put it it, not every product that they put out is for me i mean i don't i don't play pillars of eternity i've heard amazing things about it it's made me have interest in them just because i i it's a developer i just fully trust i know that what they put out i've seen their track record they're almost one of those ones that after a while you got to think they got to have a miss in here somewhere type of deal. Mm, that's true. So I kind of wanted to touch on, I brought up Kotar earlier. So 
and this kind of plays into it with the world building. So Mikey Dowling, he's the director of communications for Obsidian. So he's gone on record confirming that The Outer Worlds is not a completely open world game. Um, but fans of KOTAR 2, Knights of the Old Republic 2, they'll be able to draw similarities and comparisons between how the two handle world exploration. So he he confirm he also does confirm on top of that though that you will be able to explore vast areas and will be able to travel to different locations everything like that so it's very much not cut and dry closed you know linear there'll be some exploration in there but it seems like it's a much more refined experience in terms of explore exploration so while we know that obsidian can design open worlds with the best of them like you know see fallout new vegas like we keep praising do you think this approach being paired with a more traditional RPG experience will mesh properly with what we've seen so far, at least. I absolutely think it's going to work to their benefit. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the more traditional CRPG experience lends itself well to, uh, handcrafted environments, I'll say. And, and they can be like, you know, interconnected, like a bunch of different zones that Mm -hmm. have a, a web of connections going throughout all of them. But when you get right down to it, you cannot walk, continuously from point a to point b in a straight line like you're you might have to go from a to c to d and then to b mm-hmm. like there's it, it reminds me of the way like fable for instance is laid out right um a lot of exploration to get in that game plenty of locations to visit but they're they're more like webs and networks than a complete open grid where you can go absolutely anywhere mm-hmm I think it's going to work to their benefit because it allows them to control the pacing and the content that you're going to find uh, throughout the world. Mm-hmm. In something like Fallout New Vegas, I feel like it would probably have been exhausting to try to be like, "All right, we've got too much empty space here. Mm-hmm. Let's try to like put in. Let's try to drop down something for the player to do because there's just too much distance between these two points to justify it being this wide." And I think. I'm dovetailing into probably what you're going to want to comment on. Totally. And this is, I couldn't agree more with you. And this is as somebody who just loves a good open world game. I love getting lost in a a world that is immersive. Look at Breath of the Wild. Look at, hell, name an Elder Scrolls game. Like, when open worlds are done right, there's almost nothing like them that can be touched like that. But there's nothing I hate more than when the concept of an open world is just forcefully shoved into a project to not only like satisfy this false pretense that like a lot of modern day titles have that they feel this need to justify one's purchase. We have to give you all this content to me, this game having a more self-contained world that kind of gives you this scale of grandeur and exploration while also keeping you, focused and like on track for the gameplay and the story and the pacing is just it's just so enticing to me it's it's probably a big reason why i connected so deeply with god of war last year not only Mm -hmm. was the story just so impactful but and to me really it's at least in my opinion it's narratively impeccable but it was also this feeling that i got when i'm playing through it as though none of just none of my time was wasted in the world like, while I was traveling, there were areas to explore, there were secrets to be found, There's a, you know, there were a lot of great spots on the map. You can fast travel, like, it was far enough that fast traveling every now and then was an option, but I wanted to keep staying in that world, so I never fast traveled. But all of it was there for a reason. There wasn't any 
filler bullshit, nothing to try to pad out a game, nothing to try to connect dots forcefully that didn't make sense. I personally will go to bat any day over an experience that is concise and values my time with progression, with storytelling, with pace, with gameplay, anything, than something that provides me with content just for content's sake, if that makes mm-hmm. any sense. Just to, you know, hey, here's... Uh, Here's frosted flakes with more frosting and extra frosting. I don't need I don't need the extra frosting. I don't want diabetes. No, 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 just take it. Just take it. You want it. Come on, just take it. Like to me that's just I that's why I think the older I get, I just so much and we'll touch on this eventually, I'm sure, but I just I so much value I don't look at a game's time anymore. I look at is from what I've done my research on and whatnot. I don't care if it's an indie developer. I don't care if it's uh, triple large triple a developer what they're providing does it waste my time because my time is the most valuable thing in the world that we don't get back does i'd rather spend 60 dollars or 40 dollars or whatever on a game that's just going to value the time that i put into it at least that's my opinion hard agree but anyways so moving along i want to get into kind of touch on some of the character customization that we've seen so far in my opinion at least and i'm sure you at least agree to some extent but it's character customization and creation, but mostly the customization and ability to change a character and quote-unquote evolve a character in their abilities is probably one of the main pillars to any good RPG experience. And in my opinion, will be one of the most definitive factors when connected with this RPG we're talking about, the Outer Worlds, like on an immersion level. So Obsidian seems to be taking a similar approach to character design as they do world design. It's self-contained, but it's still vast with depth. If you want to, if you want to mess with it, you can, and you can get a lot out of it. But for those who are looking to just kind of jump right in and enjoy the experience while also still having control over their customization, it's there. But you don't have to go completely balls deep into it. You could do, you can, you know, if you want to put points into certain abilities, there's folders for them. You could kind of do a just put it in a category, or if you want a certain subcategory within that subcategory you can mess with that too it's there but it's not forced down your throat so how much weight does character design and customization from both appearance in the you know straightforward answer and statistical have on your experience with rpgs would you rather the outer worlds character customization be close to you know knights of the old republic 2 or new vegas style Um, of question I'll split it up by appearance and then stats. The first one doesn't appeal to me quite as much as the other. So, like, appearance for me, I know I'm not going to be looking at my character much in a first-person game. Mm -hmm. I might feel differently if it was third-person, but um, it's not a big deal to me. I'll usually go into most of these games on my first playthrough, and I'll have just kind of the same, basically, self-insert character. 100% agree. (laughs) Uh, Like, like I'm just going to focus on doing guns getting a lot of interesting dialogue options so i'm gonna pick like charisma or persuasion or speech or whatever mm-hmm. and doing interesting side stuff that allows me to i guess circumvent combat if i want to so like lock picking or science or something like that mm-hmm. uh to me those are the skills that i've kind of learned will get me interesting experiences that that i kind of opt into i suppose mm-hmm. um so the, the character creation appearance doesn't matter as much to me, but being able to build that character with the specific skills that I like to kind of like 
I don't know, just play the game how I expect to play most of ga- most games of this type. That I think is pretty important. On subsequent playthroughs, I do like to have the option to try something a little bit different. Maybe try a melee build or mm-hmm. like in the last five years, maybe I've completely been blown away by the fact that every Elder Scrolls build I used to do was basically just straight melee mm-hmm. and I would just blow through the game just swinging a sword. But magic in those games is a lot of fun. And that's one that I've always wanted to do a magic build. And I never, every time I played through Skyrim multiple times, I played through Oblivion, God knows how many times. Morrowind, same deal, played through a lot. But I've never went, I've always been like, oh, you know, I want to try just a full magic build where I'll dabble and do, you know, hey, I want to, I want to focus in one handed melee and focus in regeneration and work on healing magic, like specifically, (laughs) but never been like balls deep in one. Just like, hey, I'm going all in on magic this time. I'm not really familiar too much with Skyrim's magic systems, uh, but I know in Oblivion, it was like a bit scaled back from Morrowind. Morrowind Mm -hmm. with magic, you could basically break the game and and produce spells and enchanted gear that like took you well outside the parameters of any semblance of balance. Oh, wow. Uh, And it was fun for just that reason, because you could become grossly overpowered pretty early on if you knew what you were doing. Mm -hmm. And it just felt like you were getting away with something that you shouldn't be able to. And it had that kind of mischievous fun factor to it. Yeah. Oblivion was a bit more restrained, but you still had a lot of power to make whatever kind of spells you wanted to. You still had most of the same effects, Mm -hmm. like, you know, different flavors of damage uh affecting enemies stats doing levitate and feather and water walk um using magic to circumvent skill checks that would otherwise be done by stuff like lock picking or speech or whatever Mm -hmm. so magic was kind of just the way to almost not really cheat your way through the game but like it was the alternative method to actually putting in hard work and uh like grinding the other skills Mm -hmm. it gave you access to the same stuff so having options for character creation in terms of stats i like multiple play styles being entertained by the game and treated basically as equal Mm -hmm. definitely i i'm kind of the same way that i don't go balls deep in either right off the bat but then like more on i'm much more i care much more about the latter half of the two with my actual stats my actual abilities whatnot but before I get into it, how about this? I give, I'll give everyone kind of a breakdown. There's a really, really good video that IGN produced. Uh, Brendan Tyrell over there, he does stuff with the Xbox team, a little bit of PC stuff too, but he sat down with the game's narrative designer, Natai Potter, and he kind of explains the effects applicable with each ability point that is spent there. Like, he went through the character customiza- customization, really broke it all down, made it really concise and really edible for anybody to kind of come in and get so so basically your character is broken down into four categories you have attributes skills aptitude and appearance attributes can then be broken down into three additional subcategories body which includes your strength and dexterity mind which includes intelligence and perception and personality which includes charms and temperance these will affect basically everything from your from your ability to handle certain weapons such as handguns range rifles anything like that to how you can skew those around to react to you, like your perception and things like that. You could basically get away with crimes by just being a sweet talker. And even really like a combination of all of those working together. They use the example, they 
Brandon's like, hey, I want to use a Han Solo character. I want to be the dumb, lovable idiot who is, but is also really good at being a scoundrel. He's great with weapons, things like that. So they really hiked up his uh, perception and his charm, but dumbed down his intelligence and kind of upped some of his, uh, up some of his strength. Like he was good with handguns and a little bit well with ranged rifles, but wasn't that great. It's really cool. The ability you're able to go and it's really at least to me digestible for an rpg like this but um so skills on the other hand are more effective or skills on the other hand are more of the like detailed aspects of your character for what abilities and specialties your character can do such as investing in range combat to unlock the ttd ability to tactical time dilation i think yes uh which is obsidian's answer to the vat system found in fallout um, aptitude is more just bonuses to those attributes than anything. And even Potter, the narrative designer, admits it's really just, it was a way for the players to get a sense of the humor and the dialogue you will find in the world as you continue to spend time. And it's just really like little bonuses, like you get 20% more in this attribute because you signed up and accidentally shot yourself in the foot or something like that. Like you signed up for the military and shot yourself on the foot on the first day, so you get a free pass on this or something like it's, it's just funny, like dialogue that they're really trying to give you a sense of. They, they're more such a completely secondary thing, but I really liked that touch in the video. It does kind of, it is mostly just flavor text. They kind of remind me of the, um, uh, traits from new Vegas Mm -hmm. where like most of them were either negligible gains or there were some kind of trade off, but they let you role play a little bit more and like get into the head of, not just the developers and like how, you know, like you said, the kind of sense of humor that they're bringing to the table, mm-hmm. but maybe also like they might nudge you in the direction of actually role-playing a little bit more. Like, okay, there's more to this character than just, I'm a scoundrel who sweet talks his way through most things and then falls back on his handgun. If that doesn't work, you might see a little bit more personality in them, some kind of flaw or some, um, you know, just more defining characteristics than just, you know, a stat sheet. No, 100%, definitely. So I think it was a really good touch. Absolutely. I'm all in on it. I think I think it's a great even keel of appeasing to both parties, I guess, if you want. The hardcore yeah, RPG fans and the ones who are just, you know, I dabble in the Fallouts or the Elder Scroll games that come out, but I'm not, I don't, I don't play Pillars of Eternity or, you know, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. And it's also totally opt in. You don't have to pick one of these. And 100%. if you do just pick one at random, it's not going to have that big of an impact. You no. don't have to like deep, deeply dig in to like uncover the lore of your backstory or whatever. It's just, you know, and they, little... and they even say like, and uh, Natalia even says like, you honestly, if you're new to RPG games and you're not sure what to pick, it's always safe to put it in strength. And guess what? You can come back later, and you could you could add on to this. It's not cut and dry. You're stuck with this character forever. You can keep building on them. You could, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a, you know, trophy or achievement or whatever for maxing out every single stat and every single ability on a playthrough. I'm sure there's going to be something like that. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's in there for a reason. But uh, on top of that, too, just kind of last thing, appearance isn't ridiculously detailed, but to me, it does give you some pretty cool pre-made options for your character it's definitely not like bethesda depth that we kind of most recently seen with fallout 4 where you could actually go over certain really specific areas and really just slider the hell out of all of it to Mm -hmm. you know drag and pull to get some really funky creations going but it's not like that 
it's still good enough to me. It's one of those things that it doesn't character creation has never really appealed to me. I've always went in and just give me a pre-made one. I'm going to throw a medium length beard and the haircut that I actually have. And I'm good. I'm, I'm right. Done. Or I'm going to make like some celebrity like Taylor Swift or something like that. So, have you ever heard of code vein? This is kind of a tangent. Yes, I have. I've heard good things that it's like anime dark souls. Yeah. Uh, apparently that game has an incredibly deep character. Yeah, creator. I did hear that. There's like, a billion eyebrows to choose from <laughs> yeah and to be honest i know i talked earlier about like not caring that much about appearance but almost like the spore creature creator mm-hmm. i could see myself getting into that type of thing even just as a standalone experience just for the fun of like recreating like some known popular characters for the hell of it yeah no definitely. i just want to throw that in there no it definitely it does look cool i'd like to i i've i've never been like totally in on souls games and i've mentioned this before but i did see a quick video of that and i was like "Uh, if that ever pops up on like a psn or xbox sale or something like that it's 10 bucks i may roll the dice on it it seems cool Mm -hmm. like uh, i like the art style a lot so but anyways back to the outer worlds and it's kind of character creation like i said um it's definitely not bethesda depth it's it's still to me there's still plenty to do with it on the actual end but to me, skill trees are great. They're great for games that do want to offer some layer of depth to your character, like in Spider in Marvel Spider Man, AC Odyssey Origins. We talked about God of War, etc. All that shit. But they can kind of be cookie cutter to me. At the same time, they're they're boring and like it just leads to feeling like they're not really a character of your own, but more just hey, at the end of the day, everyone's character is going to look the same, and by the time you roll credits, you're just gonna have everything unlocked and that water cooler moment of so how'd you handle this well my character had you know strengths in this and this and this specific ability oh my build was different than yours i went this way like it those aren't there anymore with stuff like that but at the same time like i still try to like i don't tend i tend to shy away from getting like two balls deep in like crunching numbers with leveling and character stats like i'm not a big destiny guy i'm not a big division guy and even in like elder scrolls fallout certain like scalable stats like i just don't normally bust out the spreadsheet and i'm like well if i do this it's gonna bring me up to this and if i Mm -hmm. do this i can get this certain like i'll use generalities with that like if i know okay this is going to if i pick this it's going to benefit me with my one-handed melee build that i'm going with so i'm gonna pick this but this does it better okay i'm gonna pick that like i don't i don't usually look at the trade-offs to me so seeing obsidian implement something like this where it isn't it's really appeasing to kind of both sides of the both sides of the spectrum to me it really works well but it's also too i and i was thinking about this earlier it seems like it's just a big indication on what this game is it's i think this game started out as a concept to them that i'm sure was thought and developed as being from an quote-unquote indie studio that was a smaller scale version of Fallout New Vegas that then wound up finding a home in really the Scrooge McDuck of video games, Microsoft, who has all the fucking money in the world. <laughs> and I think this will be a great fit for a lot of those, like just looking to get into RPGs who don't normally play them. I think this is really not baby's first RPG, but something that's really going to, it's really going to fare well for a large spectrum of people. And I, I think that's great. For sure, it has mass appeal, which in this case, I don't think is a bad thing. Not at all, absolutely. So one thing that I think kind of 
really plays to a lot of people. And I've seen a lot of flack for it, but maybe this is just me. I can also see both sides of the spectrum, though, on this. But So Obsidian is saying that the game's playtime for, you know, kind of, I don't want to say the average because it's a large, larger gap, I guess, to really call it an average. But a normal playthrough for people, and this is a non, like, oh, I'm going for 100% or whatever. The Obsidian saying the game's playtime should last between, like, 15 to 40 hours. And obviously, that's depending on your play style, because between 15 and 40 hours is a pretty big gap, um, at least to me. I kind of see some fans being thrown off of, off of that. Like, sure, hearing 40 hours on the latter end of the time spectrum for this game, to the fans, I'm sure, at heart, this is speaking to your Fallout New Vegas, New Vegas's, your Skyrim's, Oblivion's, Fallout's, you, you know, name it. Seeing how big of time sinks those games could be, I'm sure 40 hours does kind of feel like, ah, you know, eh, that's kind of on the shorter end. I like to, you know, invest hundreds of hours in just into one character. But you know what? But to me, 40 hours is still a fucking lot of time to spend on something. Like, yeah. as a full-grown adult who still loves to do all this man-child shit and will till the day they fucking lower him six feet into the cold <laughs> fucking hard dearth, it's still... 40 hours is still a nice chunk of time to put into a game. Like, break that down and tell me how much you spend per hour if you're getting 40 hours for a $60 hour, or $60 game. Like, the value is just ridiculous. So, to me, that's that's just me. But at the same time, really what it's saying is this is a more streamlined experience, but not in a bad way. Um, with the 40-hour mark in mind, do you think that'll ruin your gaming experience heading into the games? Like, does the concept of a preconceived length of a game hinder you from enjoying the game at all, Adam? No, I don't think so. I think while I'm usually one to avoid spoilers as mm -hmm. far as story or, like, even mechanical surprises, mm -hmm. uh, if you've ever heard of The Outer Wilds, that's a mm -hmm. game that, even though it's kind of light on story, there are mechanical surprises that you probably don't want to be spoiled on. Um, just something like the length of the game just helps me as a consumer make decisions about... Do I want to opt into this experience right away at launch? Do I want to wait for it later until it's like a better time for me to get into it? Because, you know, if I were to try to start The Witcher today, that would be a bad decision because I'm not going to be able to play it for very long. No, unless, unless to... if you bought it on if you buy it on Switch, which even then again, it's like you guys only have one Switch. Alexis wants to play stuff like Molly wants to play my Switch sometimes like I... I... Even if I have that, it's not like I, if I took the bus every day or rode the T into work downtown, like, maybe, sure, but, like, I don't. <laughs> like, if I'm going to be game, like, yeah, mm -hmm. I'm going to play my Switch, yeah, I'm going to play it on all these different things. Hell, I have The Witcher on three different systems because I know it's a good game and I want to get into it, but I can't, every time I try to get into it, I'm like, this is too much fucking time to spend, like, but even then, it's like, your time is so fucking finite. <laughs> like, right. And it's, it's a game that you definitely need a lot of time investment to get everything out of it. So knowing that ahead of time lets me make a better informed decision like, okay, this is something I'm not going to buy right now. I'm going to wait until I have a reasonable chunk set aside that I can invest in it. And so with something like The Outer Wilds, knowing going in that maybe one character, one playthrough is going to last me you know, 15 to 40 hours, I think is the figure they gave. Mm -hmm. That's great. I know I'm going to be able to invest that in the upcoming weekend. I could probably beat it this weekend if I'm dedicated. 
Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, to me, this kind of just goes back to not wasting my time. Like, I'm actually glad this is probably going to be, like, a 20, 25-hour, like, normal playthrough game for me. A normal experience like that, like, at 20 hours or so, like, to me, that's great. Like, the time between the launch of this game and Death Stranding is, like, pretty perfect for me. Because, like, with knowing that this is a pretty normal like a pretty normal playthrough is going to take me around eh, 20 to 30 hours, I would say. Cause I don't normally my first playthrough, I normally don't dive in and find every nook and cranny, but I do take my time. I like talking. I like reading the dialogue between different characters. I do side missions. You know, I do whatever little fetch questing I need to at times, but to me, that may give me a chance. Like you were saying, I'll, I'll finish this bad boy before death stranding even comes out. Like, it's probably going to mm-hmm. take me a week or so. And that's, like, pacing my time. Like, man, eh, maybe I'll play two hours one night. I'll play, you know, if it's on the weekend, I'll play four to six or whatever a day. Like, if I have a f- completely free day, I'm going to sit there and, like, chew on it for a while. But even then, it's, like, even if I just take my time, like, it's digestible. I think it's a perfectly – this will be a good – this should be, like I was saying before, a good first experience for somebody who's looking to get into RPGs, at least on paper – looking to get into RPGs to say, man, I really don't want to sink the same time in that I see with, you know, I did it with Skyrim. I did it with the Witcher. I did it. I spent hundreds of hours in there. I just can't do that right now. I don't have the time. I got a wife. I got kids. I got, you know, the mortgage and adult shit, or I don't know what adults do. I still have yet to find out, but um, (laughs) you know, taxes, I don't know. Fuck shit. I probably, probably should pay my taxes it's at 26 i feel like i should have i'm getting off topic anyways (laughs) no in all seriousness though it seems like this game is designed to be replayed given that also they have stated hey this is gonna have multiple endings we want you to come back and play this again like i want like obsidian is really for being this being one of their shorter experiences that they put out they're putting this in a light that they still want you to come back to this every now and then we don't want you to completely close the door on uh the outer worlds like we don't we're gonna have stuff i wouldn't be shocked if they come out with this game and then you know maybe three months from now they throw out a dlc they throw Mm -hmm. out another five to six hour dlc and then another couple months they do it again like it wouldn't shock me like i think that's i think something like this is perfect for those people who are looking to get back into RPGs or for the first time and just don't want the time commitment. And at the end of the day too, it's going to be concise. It's not going to waste anyone's time. It's going to be straightforward to the point, but still give the options to spread your wings and, you know, kind of spread out in the bed a little bit. Nobody else is there. Might as well kind of hang out for a while. Absolutely. And like the fact that it's also a new title, just Mm -hmm. give it room to sort of grow into itself. Like let me get familiar with the world um, but I, I think on your first venture with something like this, there would be a lot of risk in like overstaying your welcome. Mm-hmm. Like maybe the idea you thought you had and were running with just doesn't have the same staying power mm-hmm. uh, when it's in the consumer's hands. So keeping it, keeping a lid on it. I mean, forty hours is still pretty generous, but keeping a lid on it uh, definitely works to their advantage. To uh, I don't know how else to word it besides not make the game overstay its welcome, especially as something that's brand new and I'm sure they're going to be iterating on it. <coughs> Red Dead 2. <coughs> <coughs> right. 
sorry, hairball. It was at it was at fifty hour mark that I put in the Red Dead Two. <laughs> this should have mm-hmm. probably been thirty. <laughs> Man, that epilogue it really got stuck in my throat there. Um, yeah, but I I totally agree. The, the overstaying your welcome thing, it, like I just mentioned, Red Dead did it with it was a Red Dead was an excellent game. I love it. I don't I don't I don't feel like I wasted my time for ninety. 90% of that game, I felt it was all concise. I love the story. I love the slow burn. We talked about that before. But it's where the epilogue came in. And it was important info, and it was a cool connection. But it was more or less, you could have cut four hours out of that. And I would have been like, okay, cool. We're done. Like, that's a great ending. I find out how the two stories connect, and we're good. Cool. Awesome. It, it, it's just, I think... I think with that 20 to 30 hour mark for the game, I think they're going to be have no problem landing the plane. I mean, they've they've landed multiple planes before, so I think I'm sure they'll stick it. Yeah, uh, they'll stick the landing. They'll evil can evil the shit. So (laughs) wait, didn't he die? Right. I don't know. Anyways, um, (laughs) so kind of starting to round out the conversation here, Adam, I want you to give me three things you hope to take away from this game or you hope to enjoy within this game. And I want you to give me three things you hope don't find its way into this game on top of that. So give me some positives and then give me some negatives. Okay. In the Outer Worlds, I would like to see some interesting faction conflict, Mm -hmm. including some uh, economic and political commentary. That's to pretty much be expected with the way they've set this game up Mm -hmm. from the premise and the narrative. I would like to see some variety in the combat i just don't want like like two or three different flavors of damage but it's basically the same gunplay just you know i don't want all the weapons to feel exactly the same i want want to feel a little bit of variety Mm -hmm. um and maybe just beyond combat just a variety in the way i can approach situations give me you know back entrances give me talking my way past the guards give me hacking into a console and turning on the automated defenses to turn Mm -hmm. on the guards something like that which looks to be there like that stuff looks very the fallout things that we've seen interacting with the environment around you the technology around you it seems like that is all there so knock on wood things could change but who knows (laughs) but like back entrances behind a waterfall no less they seem Mm -hmm. to be there and looking forward to that uh that's two things i would like to see that dark humor that we talked about that kind of it, it goes hand in hand with the commentary, but like that kind of incisive, a little bit edgy, but like self-aware kind of pointing at something and being like, you know what we're really talking about here. Um, yes. Like, almost like I... the, and as for as much flack as they get at times, very much Rockstar's excellent at that. They're excellent at seeing the parody that sometimes comes along with the subjects they broach. And they're not af- yeah. they're not afraid to shy away from that. They they make the meta joke of what's going on. They they know, but they're, that's why their writing's always well, both serious and on you know more to even at a comedic level, such as we're gonna I'm sure find both of those in this game. Right. Um, things I don't want to see. Uh, I guess I would have to go with please give me some better stability in performance mm-hmm. than. Than we would have seen from Bethesda games trying to do similar things. Uh, I hope at launch it doesn't give me crash to desktops and corrupted save files, anything game breaking. I understand like 
there might be some performance issues and hiccups and graphical glitches that I can pretty much tolerate mm-hmm. as long as there's nothing game breaking and like knock on wood thus far I haven't even really had those kinds of problems with Bethesda games which are infamous for being buggy neither have I so maybe we're just you know I think those problems tend to affect like maybe 10 to 20 percent of people and that they are rightfully vocal about it because the loud vo- can... vocal minority right but they're just not as common as they might seem because people who experience them are, are obviously going to be pretty vocal about it mm-hmm. so i hope we see good performance um what else don't i want to see this is a tough one yeah. um you can you cause... can give me uh, if you want to just give me one you can give me two whatever um, I guess I hope that the questing is decent, mm-hmm. uh, that it's not too, like, I feel like what they did in Skyrim with Radiant Quests got a little bit, like, the, the system was designed to be reactive and like, oh, if you kill this guy, mm-hmm. this other guy will take over his shop and he'll give you quests. But when you design the system that way, you almost take all the character out of it. So right. I was a little bit worried by the fact that in some of the videos we watched today, they mentioned that you could get to the ending screen of this game by just murdering everybody, like absolutely <laughs> everybody. And that's an interesting approach. Maybe they would do it justice, mm-hmm. but I hope it doesn't stymie. I hope they're not um, hamstringing their quest design by allowing that possibility because you'd have to make a lot of concessions to make that possible. Oh my God. Yeah. So I hope they're being thoughtful about that and, and not, designing for the edge case because i don't think most people are going to be considering that their primary playthrough goal oh yeah definitely no i agree you you touched on a lot on my end in terms of we had a lot of overlap with our positive and negatives you know i positive wise i'm hoping that i see lasting dialogue which i really really expect we are i feel very safe about so saying that going in line with the hours that in terms of the hour mark for the playthrough that they're saying i want that to come along with a well-paced story narrative to me especially in worlds like this if i'm going to invest hell if i'm going to invest 20 hours into anything i want it to be damn near good like (laughs) i don't want to turn around and be like wow technically i literally wasted almost a whole day of my life dedicated to this and the ending was very negative so and then on top of that, a uh, combat that doesn't make me want to pull my hair out. And I'm talking to you, Fallout 4, um, where mm-hmm. it was much more leaning into, hey, we want to be an FPS, but we don't have the polish of a good FPS in terms of the shooting mechanics that go along with it. I, I just hope that, which it does look like, but, you know, obviously, we're, and we're, I'll touch on this in a minute, but... You know, we don't have reviews out yet. We don't have anything like that. All we've seen is what everyone else has seen. And it doesn't, it looks like the combat's going to be fine. But it's still an RPG. It, I still want it to be an RPG first that has good combat on top of it, not trying to be something else that it isn't built to be. Where it's an RPG first with good combat and shooting mechanics secondary. But I don't want the focus. I, I just want it to be live in more of one side of the plane than the other and i think fallout 4 didn't handle that very well so right um but negative wise just real quick i i was pretty much the same with you i have poor optimization you know originally the messaging was that pc and xbox one would receive high res and performance patches you know the xbox one x enhanced 
PC4K patches, same with that, but the PS4 version wouldn't. Um, now it's confirmed that all systems will have it. Obsidian came out, hey, we want to clear the air. Everybody's getting the same thing. Uh, obviously, PS4 only will shoot out to 1440p uh, with the upscaling, but it'll keep it at a much stable, much more stable frame rate. Like, there's trade-offs that are coming with that. Um, but that did worry me a little bit that due to their acquisition by Microsoft that they could be alienating alienating off like a section of their consumers. I just want everyone to enjoy this game. I don't give a fuck what you play it on. Play it on PC, play it on Xbox, play it on PS4. I like we said before, we own everything. It's coming on Switch, play it on Switch. I don't just if it, you know, I hope performance-wise it isn't being hindered on any of those platforms obviously outside of Switch just because it's a legitimate less powerful hardware. Um you know, that may be a little bit different, but I just don't want shady business deals and whatnot to hinder people just from enjoying the game straight up. And, you know, a poor optimization of that is one of them. Um, and then, like you said, repetitive questing, I felt like Fallout tended to fall victim to that. Not necessarily New Vegas, but more for and Bethesda based ones. And that's along with, you know, many open world games, but I just don't want to see fetch questing in a single-player non-MMO experience, and that just, to me, leads to burnout super quick. I get burnt out with a game that's like, fuck, I have to go kill another person? It's literally the same quest four times in a row. Like, I'm cool with it. I'm done. I, I, I just don't want us to see that. But the one thing that you didn't touch on that I think I want to see for my third, I don't want them to force plot threads to a direct sequel just because it's a new IP. I want them to put this out here, almost like Fallout New Vegas, where... Here's a certain experience. We may leave a couple of loose threads, like, in the background of the game. But just put it out and let it breathe. See what people like this game for. See if people jump all over this. Could be a big thing for Microsoft. This could be a big thing for Xbox leaning into next gen with their emphasis on uh, first-party games. I mean, this may be big for a lot of people, but I don't want... I want people to take this game for what it is verbatim right there and worry about the game that's out now sure they're pro i guarantee all good all good writers leave some things open-ended for people to want to come back and you know experience their games and their movies and stories even more because that leaves people thinking keeping that subject on their mind like i want to if i love this game and they leave a couple things open i'm then thinking about outer worlds even more and more so it'll make me want to come back and it'll keep me trusting. But I just don't want them to shoehorn things in because I feel like sometimes with new IPs, they really shoehorn in some like open-ended things that I'm like, uh, did we really need to do that? Like, I didn't need to know that you left, you know, somebody didn't possibly didn't die that we thought did. And it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense because of X, Y, and Z. Just, just tell the story you want to worry about telling a contained story right now because it's very linear, not very linear, but it's a more linear RPG than what it seems like previously with Fallout New Vegas. Leave it as that and go from there. Make sure the base of it is good. So yeah, just my kind of opinion. So last thing, how about this last thing, gut reaction. What do you think the Metacritic score is going to be for this game? I think it's going to be at least a 90. I expect 90. I, yeah, I think based on based on the pedigree of the developer, the attitudes that I've seen uh, just kind of from the general dull roar of the internet about mm -hmm. this game before its launch and the financial support that they're having from their publisher, mm -hmm. I think they have all of the pieces 
to make game of the year essentially wow i, I like it i, I respect the, i respect the fuck out of that that is awesome i i personally was saying and i think to this year overall i mean we'll see obviously when death stranding comes out we just talked about this last week death stranding still to come uh not that i think modern warfare is going to come out and critically blow people away with a review score or whatever and it's going to be a game of the year type contender but we also have star wars jedi fallen order which is getting rave preview reactions and a lot of people are really hyped on that now critically even so i'm really really excited for that but there's a lot of things to go into it but at the same time there's no game that really came out this year that like blew everyone's socks away there was no breath of the wild there was no odyssey there was no god of war there was no red dead there was no super smash brothers ultimate there was none of these like games that are almost they could be genre or or not genre but like even genre i guess but they could be generational defining games that have come out and usually we get those one a year one or two a year that kind of stand out from the pack and we just haven't seen that yet and i'm right there with you i think I think this game is going to get, it's going to be received very well from both sides of the plate in terms of critics and fans. And I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying mid eighties to upper eighties. Like I'm saying maybe like an 87 around there. I'm going to say no, definitely no lower than an 80. Like, I think this is easily an eight or above so far, or it's going to, I think it's going to review very well. I think, uh, obsidian, they no polish. Like we said before, I, the game's going to be polished. It's going to run well. I think it's going to run well day one because so many people are going to get to play it on Xbox One Game Pass being on their day and date. Like, they have to have their shit ready to go. Like, boom, we're ready. We're ready for the influx that are going to be downloading this game. You know, I think I think we're going to be at like an 85. 85 to 87, something like that. And it's going to get yeah. some game of the year buzz, like you said, 100%. So For sure. I'm fucking excited, man. Me too. I can't wait I'm, for the weekend. I'm really fucking excited to play. I work a ton this weekend, but you know what? God damn it. If I got to go on three or four hours of sleep, I'm going to go on three or four hours of sleep because this game seems like it's going to deserve my time. So I'm really excited about it. So that's going to about do it for our episode, our preview on the outer world. So on top of that, just a heads up, we're recording this on Monday, the 21st of October. Review embargo lifts tomorrow on the 22nd. So we'll be able to kind of have an idea leading into this. You tell us if our, our uh, predictions were wrong with the meta score. Adam's saying 90 at least. I'm saying 87. We're sticking to it. I'll put some kind of proof that we record this on Monday. If not, if you don't believe us, fuck off. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but <laughs> anyways, Adam, that's going to do it for our preview of The Outer Worlds. Where can people find you on the interwebs to talk about The Outer Worlds when it comes out? If you want to talk to me on the interwebs, you can reach me on Twitter at AC underscore Marshy. Nice. As always, I'm your host, Travis White, a.k.a. Travelis, on most internet platforms, including Twitter at Travelis underscore. That's T-R-A-V-L-E-S-S underscore. You can also find me streaming every now and then on twitch.tv slash Travelis underscore, same as Twitter, and on Xbox Live at just regular travelers t-r-a-v-l-e-s-s and with that ladies and gentlemen that is our episode thank you for watching thank you for subscribing viewing following all that jazz more importantly thank you for coming around and joining this growing community that we talk about awesome games that we're really excited for like the outer world so let's enjoy this weekend let's get out there play some fucking video games as always game on and we will see you next week peace